This is CHUO 89.1 FM. Welcome to this week's episode of The Mosaic. Here, we take a look at the current issues and trends in Ottawa through in-depth analysis and discussion. From social justice to music and art, CHUO is covering it all to highlight the voices of our diverse community. Today, a look at OPERG, an environmental, social, and economic justice organization operating out of the U Ottawa campus. We speak with members about the group's history, the work they've done, and why they joined the organization. And so I, I think what makes me stay and what drives me to be here are the seeds that people like Marcelo and, and former staff have planted. Seeds that remind us that we're human and that we have the power to change the world around us and ourselves. Then we speak to the founder of an annual yoga fundraiser for childhood cancer research. Everything comes together at this event to, you know, it doesn't matter for yoga whether you're experienced or not. Uh, we just, as a community, come together to help each other. We also step into the 27 Club downtown Ottawa to hear some local performers. Then we take a look back on the events of this year's Panda Game. I'm Arya Gunde. And I'm Lauren Rolston. We've got all that coming up on The Mosaic. OPERG is a student-led organization supporting community activism. They support a network of volunteer action groups and have been doing so since the 70s. Many steps towards social and environmental equity on campus have been taken by the organization. I held a discussion with OPERG members Joseph Eastham and Judy Almatati to learn more about the organization. Tell me a little bit about it. Sure, yeah. 1977, um, we've been on campus since then. OPERG's been working with U Ottawa community and students doing various things. Initiatives like the Pride Centre and the Bike Co-op started off with OPERG. The composting and recycling program at U Ottawa, that's, that's also OPERG. And if you've ever seen the OC Transpo Equipass for low-income individuals and families, who can't afford to access public transit, that was also uh, lobbied by OPERG at the municipal level. Yeah, so just in general, we advocate for economic, social, and environmental justice through various kind of, Joe mentioned, like programs, campaigns, events. Uh, we have a space on campus with a resource library that has just, yeah, really sick resources that are a bit more like radical than what you'd find in the library. We also have every year we host our Alternative 101 Week or Alt 101 week, which is kind of like an orientation week for new and uh, students who have been here before that, again, like hosts like a bit more like radical programming. I remember a couple years ago, I was, that's how I actually got introduced into OPERG was by um, being the coordinator for the Alt 101 week. And we hosted like an alternative campus tour where we kind of went around talking about like the history of activism on campus and looking at different spaces and the way that they were used to further their different movements which was very very cool yeah campus activism goes way back mm -hmm. and you guys have been there along the ride and mm. you have all these action groups that you've connected with mm. and you kind of mentioned earlier too it's like you bridge these community groups with students mm -hmm. can you like tell me a little bit more about how you guys do that 
Yeah, we um, we provide logistical support, financial support, provide equipment for, for these groups. We provide access to spaces on campus and to elevate their message and amplify their message through our socials. The action groups themselves are so wide in variety. You know, we were talking earlier about PRD, the People's Republic of Delicious. You know, it's a group on campus who go out, seek produce that would otherwise be thrown out. Instead, they transform it into vegan meals for students or action groups like, you know, the Ottawa Transformative Justice Collective, who just joined as an action group for OPERG, where they're actively challenging the prison industrial complex and the punitive system itself and the way we keep each other accountable. So, yeah, it doesn't end. Yeah, it's it's really sick. It's usually students or even community members that are OPERG members who just like are really passionate about something and they want to start something. They just don't really know where to go and like how to start. So they come to OPERG with this idea of wanting to get started on something that they're passionate about and they think that could make a really big difference. And we, as Joe mentioned, like support them through logistical support, financial support and promotion to help them get started on their initiative and they usually take that initiative on their own and build that which I think is such a wonderful thing that OPERG does and is probably like the foundation of our mission is really to support people who want to do that kind of activism but who just like don't know where to go and how to start. Yeah, you guys have the connections. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So um, basically, I kind of want to focus more on these action groups because I think that their work is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think that these specific groups, what do they bring to the community having this work done? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it varies from action group to action group what benefit they bring to the community. But for you, Ottawa students specifically, these action groups offer insights into career options, into developing equity and advocacy for you know marginalized communities, and developing sort of a radical empathy. I would say for our neighbors and for our fellow community members. So I, I think. In essence, the question, it could be anything, really, in terms of specific action groups, but the experience is what drives them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I really like that point that you mentioned about, like, that radical empathy, because I really think they come in with the purpose of creating some sort of community. And we try to host events, we try to do programming, but there's, like, so many things that can be addressed. And as a small organization, like, you just will never have the capacity to do everything. And I think that's the power of having... Having action groups and being able to support them is that they're usually dedicated towards a specific kind of niche like point of activism that they really want to focus on and just to be able to like support them through that is really great but again like they touch on like so many different things and I think the point behind it is that radical empathy it's that creating community it's that creating space bringing people together to advocate and like fight for something that they truly believe in and like have the support to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. It's like such a broad range of community support and empathy going Mm -hmm. on. You guys have also introduced a circle of elders as well. I'd love it if you could tell me some more about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have been, you know, living with and working with a circle of Algonquin Anishinaabe elders to address OPERG as a colonial organization embedded within a colonial institution and to create more lasting change and build better relations with the land itself and with each other and to operate in a way that reflects the wisdom of the land and the wisdoms that are provided by the traditional caretakers of the land.
Wonderland. You know, our Circle of Elders, there's seven members, and all of which contribute in their own ways and provide guidance to the board of directors to be able to decolonize our language, to be able to re-indigenize our language, and to recenter our identities informing our, our character in relation to the land. Mm-hmm. Marcelo Saavedra Vargas was the indigenous elder who worked with Oberg, and he passed away recently, and he had been with Oberg for what, like... Long time. Long time, like for a very, very long time. And he really was like so passionate about the mission and vision of Oberg. And he was the one who kind of like had this idea of the circle of elders. And he brought his connections and the people who he knew from his community and really just formed that group and, you know, maintained building that connection and creating that kind of change that Joe was talking about. And it's kind of hard considering that Oberg's board of director is all volunteer and it's pretty transient like we're mostly students people come and go our schedules change and it was something that he I think really was that anchor that always like was able to kind of bring us back together and you know revisit those conversations and you know really prioritize what we're trying to say or what we're trying to work for towards in our mission which is that you know decolonizing our processes decolonizing the way that Oprah functions as a whole and the things that we do and he was really just that anchor and I think it's so important to remember him and everything he, and he did him. for Oprah. Yeah. yeah, he was amazing. He sounds like he was kind of a driving force mm-hmm. for a lot of people too. Definitely, yeah. And on that note, uh, what's your guys' driving force for being with Oprah and the work that you guys do? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Mm, I think for me, Like I said, I've been with Oprah for like four years now. I I started at the beginning of my third year in undergrad and I was already kind of involved in a lot of like student activism. I was part of the, at the time, called You Racism Group, which was dedicated towards advocating for better anti-racist policies and just anti-racism in general at the university. And one way we were able to do that was through Oprah support. And I think it can be so overwhelming to try to be involved in a lot of like advocacy and activism work because there's so much and you never really know what can I do what can I contribute to like also of course trying to avoid that question of burnout and I think being involved with Oprah really gave me the opportunity and the chance to be involved in a way that let me recognize what my limitations were so I'm not reaching burnout because I did I did like do that a lot especially in undergrad and especially when you're involved in a lot of really important things and it it just like just to be able to like support different people who want to do different things that are so amazing but not necessarily like having to take the lead on all of it or be like super involved to the extent that you're just unable to do anything else and I think Oprah really like gave me that space and I think the community that it helped me create you know meeting like Joe and and Maria and Fida and like Jamal and like all the staff are people that I just hold very like dearly to my heart and who have become like friends outside of uh, work and and just like the various people that I've met and supported their advocacy through Oprah as well I'm I'm rambling but just all to say is that like the community that Oprah creates and 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 the fact that, you know, I'm part of that, I think is something that like I'll always be grateful for and just like very honored to be a part of that. And that continues to like drive me to want to come back and 
yeah, I've, I've reached the end of my mandate like almost <laughs> like what, six months ago, seven months ago, but I'm still there、um, and I find it so hard to leave.、Uh, almost feels like my baby now. <laughs> totally, totally. In similar ways, yeah, for me as well. I started a very long time ago as well as a volunteer. We started together. Yeah, board, <laughs> board members together. You know, and I was just searching for, for that space. You know, coming onto campus 18 years old, there's a certain type of isolation that people feel. There's a certain type of loneliness. And trying to look for a community that genuinely brings you heartfelt warmth and feeling cared for is super, super important when you're, you're being put through all these trials and tribulations of the university academic life. And so I, I think what makes me stay and what drives me. To be here are the seeds that people like Marcelo and,、mm-hmm. and former staff have planted. Seeds that remind us that we're human and that we have the power to change the world around us and ourselves.、Um, and I think that's what drives me. It's,、mm-hmm. it's just this fundamental truth that things can change if you want it to be different.、Mm-hmm. You put that so beautifully. That was、too. beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> It's such a strong support group, too. Like,、mm. you guys are、uh, day one together, and it、yeah. seems like the team that you guys have accumulated, it's like I said, sounds like a really strong support group、mm-hmm. because that burnout, like you mentioned, is really real and、mm-hmm. terrifying for somebody who might be showing up at university by、yeah. themselves, all these experiences.、Right. Add on top of that, like a climate crisis or cost of living、mm, crisis.、Right. There are things that we can do. To mitigate these things.、Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an amazing thing to realize. So, on that note, say I'm a student who's you know, listening to this conversation and is really interested in the services that you guys offer. What's the journey forward look like with joining this team?、Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways you can get involved with OPERG. If we're hiring, then there's a job available. If not, then people can always volunteer with OPERG. We recently started the CSL, like the Community Service Learning Volunteer Placement. So I think those usually happen like through courses. So if you're taking a course that allows that,、uh, we have some CSL placements for people who are interested. And if you're not and you just want to be part of OPERG in any way, you could just reach out, like come to our offices, send us an email, say, hey, I'm interested in joining and just like supporting to any extent. Like there will always be opportunities. Opportunities for that. Also, if you have an idea of like an initiative that you want to start, you just you know you don't have any funding, you don't know if people would even like support that. That's something that you can also bring to OPERG, or you have like a one off event that you want to do. We could provide funding for that. If you're like, no, I want to create something that's a bit more like solidified and that can do programming in the, in the short or long run, that's something that you can create into a working group or an action group. And we could help with finding other members who. Might be interested in supporting the work that you do. I think that's, at least for the board, one of the biggest things that we get is a lot of funding proposals. So people have like events or programs that they you know, want to deliver, they just need some, or conferences、mm-hmm. too, they just need some financial support. They'll usually just send a proposal to the board email and then the board will review. And if it falls in line with OPERG vision and mission, then it will likely get some funding because we have, yeah, we have budget lines for that. So,、right. if you need money for a conference, just hit us up. <laughs> I mean, you summed it up pretty well. Yeah.、Um, but yeah, like connect with us, email us,、uh, come to our office,、mm. UCU 215D. Yeah. Or, and, you know, apply to be a board member. Join us. Ooh, yeah. Join to lead. Yeah. And、uh, I'm, I'm running to the end of my questions here, but、uh, what can people look forward to with、um, OPEG's current activacy? What, what are you guys、uh, 
working on right now. Mm. There's a lot of work being done on food insecurity. Mm. I think a lot of students are going with very unhealthy food and not accessible financially speaking. So I think there's a lot being done on that. We have three workshops going on. Mm. One of them is that nurturing one meal at a time. Where we're providing lunch for students and in a conversation about the critical issues around food insecurity. Another workshop we're doing is Transformative Justice Collective, where we discussed earlier, you know, just identifying critical issues within the prison industrial complex, mm. uh, trying to rethink and reimagine what it means to keep each other accountable as a community instead of throwing, you know, these consequences on folks that don't help or reduce harm for the reintegration. Transformative justice yeah. and also recycling. I can't believe you guys actually were the ones that brought recycling to the campus. I think the, the biggest shocker for me was when we were, we're kind of like trying to clear out our office. It's just, again, like we've been here since 1977 and there's stuff from like back then. Uh, so we're just trying to, you know, like make it a nicer space to kind of come into and be able to chill. And we found these, like the petitions for the Equipass, which is something that I use like a couple years ago. And I guess you kind of touched on it, but it's just like the bus pass, like the presto pass but instead of paying the 120 dollars that you would for an unlimited pass it's like literally half the price um and we found like all the petition like people signing and there was like so many of them and i was like i had no idea we were part of that and just the fact that like we were is just like huge yeah. and i think oberg is like I said, like we have a pretty transient board and, and times like come and go and like there's different like priorities that we deal with like over time, dealing with the university and dealing with like different like external entities who just like honestly don't want us to be here and to do that kind of advocacy and activism that sometimes ends up taking up like a lot of our time, which is something that we're kind of like in that phase right now, like just trying to deal with those foundational things that once those are off our plate, it's easier to start working on those like programming right. and those events and one thing Joe touched on was the food insecurity like one program that we've been thinking about and talking about is offering like fresh foods for students by partnering with a farm our programs coordinator Jamal has been working on that but again when when we're also stressed about fighting to keep our space or you know fighting to even like continue existing like just take a huge toll uh, but you know, despite all that, we're still here. Mm -hmm. We're gonna stay here and we're gonna keep providing those services and keep advocating for students and community and things that they deserve. That's about the extent of my questions for you guys. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, I think I'll reiterate what Joe said about applying to be a board member. We're looking for some new board members. As much as I love Oprah, my time has come to an end. So we need more people to come and, and keep pushing us through and supporting us in, in any way that we can and, and getting involved as well. Yeah, and how can they reach out about that? Uh, you can send us uh, an email. Our email is pretty long. It's board at oprg-gripo.ca. <laughs> but if you come to the office, like Joe said, at UCU 215D, it's there on the door. The email is there. You can also check out our website, uh, which has the email or our social media. Follow us on Instagram. And I think we have Facebook. Yes. Yeah, on yeah. Facebook. <laughs> yeah, that email's not too long at all. Either. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much for coming in today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Lauren. That was my conversation with Oberg's Joseph Eastham and Judy Almatadi.
A community-based fundraiser for childhood cancer research went on on Sunday. The 24-hour Yoga Palooza for Chio began in 2018. Fundraisers met at the Ottawa Art Gallery with their mats from Saturday 8am to 8pm. Then again on Sunday, CHUO spoke with Steve Neville, a founder of the annual event. Steve Neville has been a part of the 24-hour Yoga Palooza since it began five years ago. He says he got a phone call with the idea of a yoga marathon to raise money for childhood cancer. But uh, he knew my connection to cancer, so my son had cancer when he was five years old, and uh, thankfully he's with us today, but it was a pretty harrowing journey, and it caused me to understand that there was a lack of funding for childhood cancer. Under 5% of the funding for cancer goes to children illnesses, according to Neville. And when you think about it, there's more than 5% of the world that are kids. And what's happened over the past 30 years is the fact that research has been centered around adult cancers. And the way they decided to give it to kids is that, like you and I, we're done fast cell division, right? They're in fast cell division, so let's double the strength, you know, appropriate to their size, and give it to the kids. So they're getting twice as strong treatments as we do. For example, my son, when he was in uh, treatment, he had six rounds of chemo to start, just to start, there's a lot more. The first three rounds would have killed me at the strength that he had. With this in mind, the fundraising began in 2018. The first event was 24 hours straight and it helped raise $24,000 from a little studio on Bank Street. Now they have raised over $260,000. Neville says his experience with his son helps him empathize the importance of Chiyo's work. So Cole's my son, he's uh, just starting second year university at Ottawa U. And uh, he, uh, the reason he survived, honestly, is that he had chemo, he had stem cell, he had radiation, but then he had something called immunotherapy. And immunotherapy was an experimental treatment, one of three new things in the past 30 years for kids. The lack of innovation in childhood cancer treatments leads to harsher effects for the sick kids. Yeah, so my son, he had something called neuroblastoma. Uh, he is stage four. So if you're familiar at all with cancer, there's stage one, two, three, four. Four is the worst. It means it's spread. It's everywhere. He actually had uh, a five-centimeter tumor that grew up uh, his IVC, a major vein into his heart, filled his heart. It was in his lungs. It was everywhere. So he was uh, a 10% survival kid. First day, he did uh, 12 hours of open heart and abdominal surgery to get the major tumors out. And when we tell that story and the power of new treatments, the fact that it saved his life, I actually had a conversation with someone this morning that had immune therapy when I was picking up donuts at Mavericks. And uh, yeah, it's these new treatments that are gonna save kids' lives and give them a better future because the typical treatments are so harsh. Um, you know, Cole lost his hearing. Uh, he'll likely never be able to have children. Uh, he's at risk for other cancers later in life because of the treatments. We need new and better treatments, and that's why we're doing this. And when people hear that, they're all in. All the funds raised at the event go straight to the Children's Hospital. They've got some incredible research for uh, leukemia going on at, at CHIO using zebrafish. Zebrafish, believe it or not, their DNA is so close to human DNA that they can actually do research on fish. As... Corny as it sounds, if you say children are our future, 
we're not investing in making sure that our kids are going to grow up healthy. And, and what I mean by that is Taylor Swift concert, right? Everyone wanted tickets to the Taylor Swift concert. You had a one in 400 chance to get a ticket to the Taylor Swift concert in Toronto. I tried my, for my daughter and everything like that, right? There's a one in 285 chance that a kid will get cancer before they're 20, 20 years old. So you have a better chance of getting cancer than getting a ticket to uh, Taylor Swift. With this in mind, Neville says childhood cancer is more common than people think. That's why the research is held there by many. Last year, 90 kids got diagnosed at, Ch at CHEO. There's over 500 in treatment at any given time at CHEO. And that's just CHEO. So around the world, a lot of kids. And uh, one in three that get cancer will die. And so my message is, if you can give, please do. Uh, if you can share and just get the word out, if that's all you can do, that's great. We just want the world to know about this important issue and if whatever people can do to help, that's what we're asking. Donations can be made at the event's website at 24hryogopodusa.ca. All are encouraged to join next year's event. Everything comes together at this event to, you know, it doesn't matter for yoga whether you're experienced or not. Uh, we just, as a community, come together to help each other. That was CHO's Faithia Tajani on her conversation with Steve Neville, founder of the 24-hour Yoga Palooza. Located in Byward Market is the 27 Club. It's on the same street as the colorful block letter Ottawa sign. The industrial-style nightclub hosts a diverse range of music performances. CHO's Veronica Martin attended a night of local and Canadian music acts and heard from some of the performers. Ottawa, are you there? Thanks for joining us on our What's Next Tour. This weekend, I had the absolute pleasure of hearing some great music at the 27 Club down in the Byward Market. What you're hearing now was our opening act, Ottawa local Hannah Vig. Hannah has two songs on release right now, Nostalgic and Clean Break. The song you're hearing right now, Juliet, is currently unreleased, but as Hannah said herself... Hi, my name is Hannah Big. You can find me on Spotify and follow me on Instagram. Keep an eye out for an upcoming EP that I have dropping in the winter. We also got a performance from U Ottawa student Jules, that's J-U-L with three Zs. This bossa nova-inspired track, partially in Spanish, pays homage to Jules's Brazilian and Peruvian heritage.
has several songs available to stream, including 1212, released in April. They have an EP coming out soon as well. Make sure to look out for it. Lastly, we had our headliner, Toronto's New Friends. What you're hearing right now is Purple Candy, their most popular song to date, sitting at almost 7.9 million streams on Spotify. had a special shout out to a dedicated fan. Meeting fans, we had a, we had one fan here tonight who came to almost half of the entire tour. Wow! She's now become like genuinely one of our friends. She's the best. Katie, if you're hearing this, I think I... And a classic story on getting the band together. I got, I got dumped like two, minute, two minutes, <laughs> two into, minutes college. into college. <laughs> and then I wrote a song and then I needed someone to sing it because I suck at singing. And I met Stefan and I met Cole. And we started new friends, and then we met Conrad, and then we met Nico, and that's bam. Perfect. We're all just... They also have a lot of new music coming out soon. Yeah. But we have a lot of new music coming soon. Check it out. Don't miss it. It's going to be amazing. Check it out. It's not out yet. Oh, yeah. Check it out. Check it out once it comes out. We'll end this segment with a bit of their song Doomed off their recent EP, Camaro. I 
CHO's Veronica Martin covering the local and Canadian artists performing at the 27 Club in Byward Market. U Ottawa is celebrating its fifth Panda game win in a row. The dramatic victory comes after Sunday's game where Campbell Fair scored a 55-yard field goal to put the GGs up by two on the last play of the game. Panda brings out the season's largest crowd to watch Carleton and U Ottawa face off in a one-game trophy matchup. The annual game has been a long-running tradition since it started in 1955. When it started off, it was just a small contest over a stuffed panda donated by students. But now, the game fills the stadium at TD Place. Next year, Panda will be celebrating its 55th anniversary. And that's it for today's episode of The Mosaic. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and previous ones on chuo.fm. I'm Arya Gunde. And I'm Lauren Rolston. We'll see you next week.